Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and this week we're joined by Nicolo Brambilla. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Nanoramic Laboratories. We're going to be talking about electric vehicle battery technologies and making EVs all the more efficient. Hey, Nicolo, welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic Podcast. It's great to, great to meet you and have you on the show. Thank you, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm just delighted. As I said to you earlier, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning from you today. And uh, I have a lot of listeners that drive EVs that are passionate about EVs. And, and how do we make them? How do we make sure that they're super efficient? But let's let's go back just for the sake of our listeners. Born and raised in Italy, right? That's right. Yes. Yes, I'm, I'm from Italy. Uh, I grew up in the northern part of, it, uh, part, part of Italy, very close to Milan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the city, but yeah, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's quite a nice area. I actually lived in a small town in between Milan and the Lake uh, Como, which I think many listeners probably know. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, was, it was nice. It was fun to grow up there, uh, very close to the Alps. Um, so, you know, when I was a kid, I, I really enjoyed to go, uh, you know, hiking or also skiing. Yeah. I've been skiing since when I'm, you know, four years old and, uh, to date I, you know, I, I still ski, but I like to go back and ski in there in the Alps or uh, sometimes I go to Colorado or things like that, which is also quite nice. How fantastic. We just got back. We, we had a big family trip to Colorado, just got back last week and, um, so skiing, skiing is a mutual passion, but but what a gorgeous part of the world that you're from. I've been through that part of Italy. I love Italy. And um, I take it you still have family there and you're able to go back and visit? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Actually, all my family is still there. And uh, yes, I, you know, I go there maybe once or twice a year, um, you know, during, during, during the holidays, is, you know, it's very nice. So yes, you know, I like, you know, I enjoy to go there. Um, and since, you know, we're also very close to Switzerland, France, so sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to actually drive also there, you know, everything is very close. Um, yeah. So what did, what did you study in college? What was your, you mentioned skiing and sort of outdoor activities, but then what college, what were you, what did you focus on? Yeah. So what I focused was, uh, uh at the beginning was physics, physics and engineering, um, which mostly focusing on, uh, you know, kind of the, the science of materials, uh, uh, optics and things like that. So that's how I started. I studied at the uh, Polytechnic University of uh, uh, Milan. That's that's where I started. And um, afterwards, I actually moved to France um, to pursue another kind of degree. Um, that's where I specialized in nanotechnologies. And in particular, um, I, you know, I was working in a lab you know, where, where we were studying nanocarbon technologies, which at that time, I'm talking about, you know, 2007, 2008, um, it was still kind of the early stage of those kind of materials. They were very exotic. Uh, and so I, I studied there how to synthesize these kind of materials, what kind of properties they had. Um, and really that is what got me into energy storage afterwards, yeah. But let me let me uh, let me hold on a second here. Like a what sure. is a nanotechnology? Is that just? I, I think of nano being extremely small or extremely short. Or is that yes, what? yes? Nano, you know, like technically speaking, nano is ten to the minus nine uh, meters in this case, right? So nanometer. 
so it's something very small. And, you know, there is a science that really studies um, all the properties of different materials when they are so small. Because when things get very small, actually, they behave a little different. And it's, it's really possible, for example, to engineer new kind of materials that have um, amazing properties just by engineering at the nanoscale level, sometimes at the atomic level. And so there are a lot of techniques on how to uh, change the properties of those materials, how to make new materials, how to improve, um, you know, kind of the performance of, you know, of some of these materials, whether it's a mechanical performance, thermal performance, electrical performance, or you name them, there are, you know, you can really do a lot of cool things. And, um, but Nicola, you, know, you, you, yeah. you make it really small so that you can synthesize it or you can manipulate it in some way. And then obviously you have to scale it up, right? Absolutely. And this is really, that's actually a great point because um, those things are very, let's say they're, you know, very easy, actually not very easy, but like you can, you can really study them. You can replicate things at a small scale in the lab, but really the challenge is how yeah. can you take what you have in the lab and being able to really bring them to industry, to scale them up, to produce tons of these materials or to use new processes to modify materials at large scale. That's really a big challenge. It's not something that you learn at school by any means. It's something that really, um, yeah, so you need to look at processes and new, um, you know, a new type of materials that can be scaled. They are cost effective as well, right? So those are things that you look at when you, you know, when you start working for a companies. And I think there are many great, uh, you know, new companies that are looking into, into those things. Yeah, it sounds like it. So I, I kind of, I did cut you off. I apologize. You had me excited, but you were talking about going and doing some additional college or studying in France yes. and you were studying these nanotechnologies. And that's when you really got into the energy storage aspect of nanotech and the app that application, I guess, of nanotechnologies. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, um, you know, one of the things that you need, for example, when you make a new type of energy storage or to improve, you know, like energy storage, like, for example, lithium ion batteries, which is something that I work on uh, in Oxford today. There are other types of energy storage where uh, you need, for example, new properties like very high surface area. You need a high surface area. Uh, so you need to be able to modify some of these um, highly kind of uh, electrically conductive materials and in increase the surface area. And so that's really what I did at that time. And I was looking at new carbon nanomaterials with very high surface area that are able to store like five to 10 X more energy in the same surface area. Um, and that was kind of the starting point really, uh, what really got me into nanotechnologies, but really like specializing the forms of carbons, like there are different type of carbons like carbon nanotubes or graphene, which, you know, uh, actually today are commonly used, I would say, in many industries. But at that time, uh, it was something very new. Yeah. So I was one of the first, um, uh, you know, people to really look at the properties of those materials and more specifically how they can help in the energy storage industry. Is this, is, now does this, um, this high surface area, it sounds like that's on the electrode, right? You're, are you, you're still working with um, like a lithium ion in that case, or could be any chemistry. You're really focused on the, the conductivity aspect of it. Yeah. So actually uh, you really got the right thing, which, um, you know, which is the electrode. So the electrode is really 
a key component in all energy storage, not just in lithium-ion batteries. For surface area, I, was, uh, I would say that in, you know, different types of energy storage, like for example, in the, um, you know, uh, electric double layer capacitors or uh, other types where really surface area is needed, uh, then yes, then you use these carbon materials to increase surface area. But, uh, but you're right that the electrode in general is really a key component in lithium ion batteries as well. Like for example, anode or cathodes, um, those I would say really are the key component that you have in a battery. And that's, yeah, that's exactly, what we do in Nanoramic, which is a company that I work for right now. Yeah, okay, yeah, fantastic. We're really getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we? So you're at, you're in France, you do this, is it, I guess, graduate level study. And then what brought you to America? Was it a job? Was it a woman? What brought? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was not a woman, actually. Uh, uh, after, let's say, after I uh, finished my studies, actually, I started to work for a, a French company called Thales. Uh, which is a very large company that makes um, all kinds of aerospace and defense kind of systems. I was working, uh, you know, for sensors, uh, MEMS, uh, you know, the gyroscopes and uh, things like that. And um, at a conference, I actually met, uh, you know, this one professor who was the advisor of uh, one of the two founders who actually founded the company that I'm now working for. That's how I got in touch. I, you know, I met this person, and you know, he was telling me, you know, I know, I know this new company uh, that is in Boston, and they actually started to work on energy storage based on nanocarbon technology. And that's really, you know, it's something that really sparked immediately. Uh, I will, you know, caught uh, a lot of my attention because that was really what I was really passionate for. And um, yeah, and that's how <laughs> I ended up basically moving to Boston. At that time, we were like three, four people. Actually, I believe I was the first employee of the company. That's that, you know, I'm talking about 2010. So that was back in 2010. That is when I moved here to Boston. I I quit my job in France and I decided to just move here. Um, yeah. So well, before we get back back to sort of the, um, the technical, what was it like then moving to America at... Uh... You know, you're yeah. in America, your family's back in Italy. Uh, they must have been saying, no, please don't go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, on your own, huh? Yeah, I would say in the first few months was, you know, of course, was not easy because uh, all my friends and families were all in Europe. Either they were in France or in Italy. So really, I didn't know anybody here. Uh, but I found that, um, yeah, people here were, you know, really nice. It was easy, actually, to... Um, yeah, you know, to get to know people, but also I would say the company at the time was very young. Uh, I was focusing a lot uh, to try to make things better there and to grow the company. And I was, you know, uh, extremely excited and, you know, still to date, I'm very excited. So it was not, you know, it was just hardly the first couple of months. But after that, I think was, you know, was a really nice thing. And uh, I really love this country. So, so that's yeah. why I actually decided to stay. That's really great. I, I think you must have been very brave to do so. But anyway, that's that's great. And you had this this company that was really aligned with your graduate studies and just where you want to take the nanotechnology was right into the right into the storage space. So how does a company like that survive? Are you selling you do a lot of research, right? And then do you sell results or patents to other organizations or what? How does that how does what you do? Like we were yeah. talking about, get scaled and get into commercialization. Sure, 
sure, sure. Um, yes, and so this is, by the way, what we focus on. I think what we are really good at is to take new technologies to scale them up, to prove them that is, you know, it's possible to scale them. So we de-risk all that aspect. Um, and then, as you as you mentioned, what we do is we partner with other companies that have all the manufacturing capabilities. And what we do is we partner with them either through a license, so basically we license technology, uh, we teach them how to use them. Um, and then, of course, we, we make our revenue through the royalties um, and through basically all these fees that come you know, with the license of this technology. So really, our focus is let's look at new kind of technologies uh, that are very challenging. Is you know they have a lot of potential, but really uh, it does require a lot of work to actually make them work in the real world. Because it's you know something might be very cool, but it's not cost effective. For example, so it's never going to fly, right? So yeah. really, you need to look at all the aspects, not just the technology part, the cost, the supply chain. Um, you know there are a lot of things that really we do, and I think we are really good at. Um, in the early days. Um, now, as a company, really, we were able to to raise quite a bit of money through also, um, you know, through grants. Uh, we worked a lot with the DOE, RPAE, for example. Um, I myself, when I started here in Anoramic, actually, I uh, I was the project lead for a very large project we had with RPAE. That's that is actually how the company got started. You know, the company got a really it was 5.5 million dollars at that time, you know, from the government to work on this new kind of energy storage using carbon nanotubes. Um, and afterwards, we also got many projects also with the DOD, with NASA, uh, to make like specialized energy storage uh, that, that were able to work in a very wide temperature range, either for very high temperature environments or very cold temperature environments. So uh, this is really in the early days, uh, how you know we basically run the company and we, yeah, so we did get you know funds and also you know some private investment as well, of course. Um, until we got like a very stable product, uh, high temperature supercapacitor. It's kind of a, you know, it's um, it's similar. You know, it looks like a battery, but it does not have lithium, um, and it can be charged and discharged for almost infinite times. Um, just the energy density is not even close to the one of a lithium-ion battery is much lower, but it is used, for example, for bursts of power. Yeah, So it has some specific kind of applications. Um, and yes, we were able to sell this to uh, several customers uh, and we licensed this product out as well. And so uh, basically today we have royalties that we can collect out of this product. Um, we also, uh, you know, this is how, yeah, that's our most kind of mature uh, energy storage product. Uh, energy storage product. We don't only make energy storage. Actually, uh, we developed also what we call the thermal interface material, which is a polymer composite uh, with very high thermal conductivity. Uh, basically, it approaches the thermal conductivity of some metals, but it has the mechanical properties of a polymer. So it's very soft, it's very squishy, and it is used to interface different surfaces so that you don't dissipate heat, right? So yeah, you, you you want to be very, um, you, you want to transfer heat from a heat source to a heat sink, for example, without um, yeah, without losing too much heat. And that was a good story because, um, you know, we developed this new product. We, uh, we had several customers and we actually ended up selling off this kind of division to 
Henkel, uh, which is a major chemical company, and this is public information. So you can, um, yeah, you can also find it online. But that was a good story because really it showed how it is important to really uh, work on new technologies, the risk, all the aspects, and then partner with a company that can actually make this in large volume. Yeah, because we don't specialize in actually um, building those large factories, but we specialize in developing new technology and try to de-risk all the scale-up, um, you know, kind of risks that you have, including, um, you know, kind of the process itself, uh, the cost of things, where you buy things, so all the supply chain, and, and then we work with other companies to be able to commercialize it. it. Sounds very rewarding, um, but there's got to be a, it's got to be a tough path, right? You, you yeah, absolutely. You're trying several, you try and try and try and try. It's to not, yes, yes. It's actually, uh, of course, it is actually challenging. It seems uh, easy, uh, but it's actually challenges. And, uh, you know, I would say there are two types of challenges. I mean, first of all, there is a technical type of challenges. Um, you're trying to do something that nobody else did before. So you fail many, many, many times. And it's normal to fail. If you don't fail, that means you're not doing things well enough, right? So I think um, at the beginning, there is a lot of failure, uh, but eventually you learn. Um, and uh, you know you need to be agile enough to be able to learn from the mistakes. Um, and and you, get in, you, know, you get to a design that is good enough. It's impossible to have a perfect design, right? So you have a design that is good enough that create enough, uh, you know, value to your customer, and that's the time when you start to uh, sampling your new product, and you get many customers that are starting to test it. You get a lot of feedback, some positive and also some less positive feedback, and you try to improve your product from that feedback. Um, so, you know, that's what I really do. Me and my team do. You know, we do a lot of the development, so a lot of the R&D and also uh, an engineering type of work. And there is, you know, there are other types of challenges. And I would say that when you want to license something, um, you need to be able to get to a point where your customer is comfortable enough to license it. And that's really tricky because sometimes they really want you to, to do everything. They want you to scale that up and, you know, and then they license because it's lower risk. Obviously, that's uh, always a fine line and you need to be able to, to get it far enough so that, you know, you really can demonstrate that it is scalable, but you don't want to go too far because that's where you start to really, like you need to invest a lot of money into CapEx and things like that. And that's really not what we want to focus on. Interesting. Hey, let's, let's, let's focus in on the EVs. I appreciate that sure. NanoRank does other things, but um, something you said back uh, earlier in the discussion when you talked about high surface area and conductive materials that store five to 10 times more energy, um, I know I'm grabbing little bits of our conversation, but sure. is it? Can you bring this to the EV industry? I mean, can we actually have battery packs and EVs that store five to ten times as much energy? Uh, is that pie in the sky? Or... Yeah, no, no. Uh, that's actually this is my main focus today. So I'm really happy to talk about that. Yes, I think in the case of EVs, um, you know, what we do as a company is we focus on lit on lithium-ion batteries, and we have uh, an electrode, you know, a new type of electrode technology for lithium-ion batteries. And I'm talking about uh, cathodes and anodes as well. And uh, it is a platform, uh, which means that, you know, we use conventional active materials like cathode active materials, anode active materials, 
but we have a process to make the electrodes work much better. Um, in terms of energy density, um, you know, for this specific uh, new technology, you know, we proved that we increase energy density. So basically the amount of energy that you can store in a given weight or a given volume of a battery cell or a battery pack, we increase that by about 35%. Yeah, so that's, that's what we're talking about. So it's a 35% increase which is a huge number actually for this industry um, because that means you can extend you know, the range of, you know, of, of all these vehicles by about that amount. Um, and it's not just about the energy density. So we increase energy density by 35%. Uh, we also allow for fast charging. Um, this is another key topic for electric vehicles. Um, you know, it is important to be able to fast charge those batteries because really that's the bottleneck you cannot faster you know you cannot charge uh today a car faster than maybe you know 30 minutes or something like that when the car is totally empty right so um but there is more and more kind of demand for vehicles that can be charged in maybe 15 minutes and so this is one of the things that we allow with our uh, electro technology um and there is a third component which is a cost um cost is obviously Another um, main kind of challenge, um, and you know, we lower costs by having these alternative process to manufacture electrodes, um, and this can be, uh, you know, this and this can apply with all kind of active materials. Yeah, we don't work on a specific new material, but rather it's a platform, and we can work with many types of materials and many types of chemistries. So, so yes to lithium. You you could use lithium uh, chemistry. With, yes. with these sort of better electrodes, putting it into sort of yes in English. Now, so does that does that mean that like I mean I have a little electric vehicle parked right here next in my next to my office. Uh, could we actually swap out those batteries and put in batteries lithium ion batteries with better electrodes, or are we not quite ready to do that yet? Or yeah, so. Um... In practice, yes, because basically uh, the uh, electrode is a dropping replacement, which means that um, if you you know if you look at if you look at the battery today, uh, if you open it up, you'll notice you have three main components. You have the anode and the cathode; those are the two electrodes, and then you have a separator that basically separates these two electrodes. The electrode that you know the electrodes that we make are exactly the same; that they look exactly the same as the ones you have in a battery, just they're very different from a scientific point of view, but really they behave the same way, which means that you can manufacture batteries exactly the same ways. Um, you have these like huge kind of coils um, that you can produce via roll-to-roll -roll process, and then they can be processed, they can be notched, uh, you know, slit, and all these type of processes that are used to make lithium-ion battery cells. Yeah. Um, so yes, you can absolutely do that. You can you can swap the battery as you said. Um, the key, you know, the key kind of difference is what is inside the electrode. And you know, if you want, I can go more in details and I can explain how this works and why we are different. Yeah, I'd like to hear. It. I think is this? The, are we talking about the composite electrode technology? Yes, that is correct. Instead, instead is of correct. being a, a sole sort of um, piece of metal, to put it in most simply, or um, you have is it various fins or something like that, or how does that work? Yeah, I would say so. We call it a composite in that um, you have like uh, you're mixing dif different materials and you're trying to improve the overall performance of the coating. Yeah, so the electrodes are always made via coating process. 
basically you have um, you know all these kind of metallic foils that is made of aluminum or made of copper um, and then there are coatings that go on top of those foils um, what we apply is a coating that has two main features one is that um, in, the, in, in the case of cathodes, for example, we are uh, PVDF free. So PVDF is a polymer, is a polymer that everybody uses in cathodes. We eliminate that and instead we have a 3D carbon mesh that is made with nanocarbon technology. And you can think of this carbon mesh as really like a web that hosts all the active material particles. They, it, it connects them together and it has the dual function of being the electric scaffold for the coating. So it's very electrically conductive, which means that the battery is very efficient. You don't dissipate uh, power into heat, but rather you put charge in your battery. And also this, this, this web, it has, some, uh, you know, it has some binding properties. So it really works as a binder, but instead of using a lot of those polymer materials, which are basically uh, plastics and glues and actually don't add anything good to the battery, just they need to stick together all the active material. We have this carbon web that has the same, you know, that has the same role, but with a very good um, electrical conductivity. And this really allows us to have you know, lithium ion batteries then charge in less than 15 minutes um, and also increase energy density by having thicker coatings. Yeah, this is the other key aspect of our process. Very encouraging. I mean, so potentially every EV battery, I don't know, in five years from now or whatever, 10 years from now would have this, would take advantage of this technology? Yeah, I mean, this is, of course, what we hope. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to have every battery suppliers that will adopt this technology, you know, to be realistic. But I think a, a good um, a good share, yes, because it's not just about the performance, as I met, you know, as I mentioned, but also uh, it has to do a lot with cost. And uh, uh, this comes from the fact that we have a process that, uh, you know, by basically getting rid of these like polymeric binders, we also uh, our coating process um, can use different types of solvents. So we uh, eliminate, uh, you know, a solvent that is called NMP which is very, you know, it is very difficult to dry. Um, and, you know, we can actually use other solvents like water, which is, you know, the most friendly solvent or uh, ethanol, which is very easy to dry. So you can coat, uh, you know, cathodes at a speed that is almost three times, you know, faster kind of than the conventional coating process. So that means that in the factory, your, your throughput is much, you know, is much higher, which means that the same factory can actually produce more energy in the same year, or if you're building a new factory, you can have a factory that has a much smaller footprint um, to produce the same amount of gigawatt hour per year. So really this means cost savings. And it's, yeah, so that's why it's, it's very appealing to the uh, auto uh, OEMs, but also the tier one battery suppliers. How, how far off are you from being in sort of, sort of standard car companies batteries? Yeah. Yeah, I would say uh, today we are working with several um, several of those companies to qualify the process. So, I you know I think basically to be realistic, it's something that you know we should be able to see in the next two to three years. That's fantastic. And right now, the marginal cost is I, I know you're saving some you're saving in in manufacturing capabilities, and you're you're saving by getting rid of some solvent nasty solvents or, but. 
is the marginal cost still, does this increase the battery cost right now by 10%, 50%? What do you think? By, by um, as much as 27%. Yeah, so we've done a study and we've seen it in, in some batteries, we can decrease the cost by about 27%. It really comes from different things. It comes from the process itself. As I said, it's NMP free, so it doesn't have that solvent. So all the uh, steps that are related to recovering that solvent, uh, the drying step is much, you know, it's a much faster step because we use other types of solvents. So some parts come from this aspect, but also the fact that we uh, are able to coat thicker layers. So when you coat thicker layers, that means that in your battery, there are less passive components. There is less aluminum, there is less copper, less separator, which means that you are maximizing the amount of active material, which is what really stores the energy in your battery cell. So at the cell level, that also is huge because really you can lower the cost. And when you combine everything together, yeah, we are talking about 27% savings uh, in some of those cells. You're getting 33% more range and 27% savings uh, as a negative marginal cost, negative net marginal cost. So that's fantastic. Uh, how exciting, how exciting uh, to be working on such a huge, I mean, you, you're seeing the EV adoption rate flying. Uh, the J-curve is uh, in full bloom right now. So how are you, um, how does a guy like you keep balance? You talked a little bit about skiing. Are you are you still an inordinate number of hours uh, in the lab? And- yeah, I actually... I used to do that. Yes. I used to spend many hours in the lab, like sometime even sleeping there. Um, I just, uh, I actually found out that, uh, you know, we also, you know, when you grow up a bit, like you find out that actually it is important to have that balance that you, you know, that you mentioned, right? Because you don't want to burn out or anything like that. So you actually want to spend the right amount of hours, but quality hours where you really are efficient. You're a hundred percent. So I think the answer to that is, um, Discipline. I think discipline is, you know, is, is the right answer where, you know, if you're very busy and you have a lot of things going on, you have work, you have family, you have yourself. So I think, you know, it is very important to be disciplined, to organize your day very well, starting from early morning, uh, you know, tonight and, you know, make sure that you really have space for everything. I think this is, yeah, so that's what I do. And I, I find that it's very, that you can be very efficient and you can get things done, you know, uh, throughout the day so good stuff hey listen thank you so much for for being on this show and educating me and educating our listeners i uh i salute your works carry on good stuff (laughs) thanks yeah thanks so much yeah take care goodbye all right thank you goodbye that's it thanks for listening to flanagan's ecologic we'll see you next time